Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I was sitting upstairs yesterday in the fellowship hall um, at lunchtime. We were hosting uh, Kairos Prison Ministry training that um, that I'm involved in, and, and some of our other uh, members are involved in. And um, at, at lunch, because it's kind of like an all-day training event, and at uh, lunch while I was sitting there, a uh, young man to my left that I'd met, uh, the last time we went into the prison, asked me an interesting question. He said, why do you think um, people drop out of church? And um, he happened to be going to a place right now to where maybe there was a little bit of uh, uh, backbiting and fighting and things like that, you know, uh, going on. And uh, and he was kind of telling me how he thought that affected church. And um, and I agree, it does. But I think the primary reason that people fall away is because they have not found fulfillment in their own life, and most of the time that happens because they are not fully engaged in ministry to where they're feeling fulfilled in their own life. If, if we are really, really busy doing what God's called us to do, you don't have time for the other junk to happen, like the backbiting and gossip and things like that that can cause problems in churches. And yet I think a lot of people will come for a little while to church be engaged, uh, maybe like the entertainment like uh, John was referring to, but they don't stay long term because they're lacking fulfillment in their lives because they're not doing anything for Jesus to bless the lives of others. That's what this series is about. We uh, spent all last month talking about invasion, Christ invading this world through the incarnation, invading our hearts. And the truth of the matter is, he did not do that just to stay inside of us. He wants to flow out of our lives to impact others. So that's why this month and the next month and a little bit of March, we're doing this series that's uh, entitled Invasion Outflow. The, the topic today is this, your life can outflow. The image that we wanted you to really grab hold of uh, all through this series is this image of a fountain. That's why we have one drawn uh, here on the wall behind me. Uh, because this image, as you'll see even in the message today, as I talk a little bit more about those four basins and what they represent, uh, really ought to get planted in our mind as a, as a firm image of what God wants your life and my life as a Christian to, uh, to be about. He, he wants us to allow Him to so fill us up that we cannot help but outflow or overflow into the lives of, of others. So as we're talking about today how our life can overflow, I want us to maybe think about some steps, three main steps today that I want to give you that I think can help us understand how our lives can overflow, or why our lives should overflow. If you're following along in the blanks and the uh, updates, a little bulletin we give you and filling in the blanks there, here's your, your first one today. We need to adopt this picture as our identity, as your identity. You need to adopt the picture of a fountain, your life being like a fountain. Like on the screen. As I said a moment ago, God filling us up to the point that we can't help but overflow and overflow and overflow. That's an image that Jesus talked about a good bit in, in the New Testament. It's an image that He wants us to adopt, I think, into our minds, into our hearts, that this is what God wants us to be like as, as believers. He wants us to, to overflow into the lives of others. Some of the uh, verses that we saw last week will recur this week. We're kind of looking at them from a little bit different angle. But last week we read this verse, and again today, of course, that's the story of the woman at the well in Samaria that Jesus went up and uh, carried on a conversation with, and ultimately, I think, won to faith in Him. And she runs into the city and tells everybody else about Him. 
But in the English Standard Version, that's kind of the version I've been using predominantly for a year or two now. But uh, the Bible says there, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about that physical well that they were standing by. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The message is a paraphrase of of, of the Bible, kind of like... some other versions that have come out, but I, I, I like the way the, the message puts things sometimes. Uh, in here, Jesus said everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again, talking about literal water. But anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artisan spring within, and notice the way it's phrased here, gushing fountains of endless life. So maybe instead of just thinking of our lives being like the fountain, this trick then that we saw a minute ago, we might ought to think of our lives being filled up with God to where we have water gushing from us, flowing out to bless and impact the lives of, of other people. There's some important implications, I think, from the words of Jesus in the verses that we just read. The first implication is basically this. People are thirsty. Because Jesus was talking about if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. If you drink the water I will give you, you'll never thirst again. People are thirsty physically, just like the woman at the well that carried those jars across the desert to go fill it up with water so she could take it back to her home. But people are also spiritually thirsty. And they are looking for something that the world really cannot offer them. They're looking for what God has already placed in you if you're a Christian. And that's why we need to focus on this image of our lives being like a fountain. Because there are people who are spiritually thirsty all around us that that need us to outflow to them. I think another implication from what Jesus said is this. a, A drink of... Jesus should grow within us. And in other words, there's a lot more to the Christian life than it's just saying, I believe in Jesus, now I know one day I'll go to heaven. And you just kind of stay where you are, stagnant, nothing changes until you die and then hopefully you go to heaven. Truth of the matter is, Jesus wants us to trust in Him. He wants us to take a drink of Him. But He wants our relationship to be a growing relationship. He, he wants that drink of, of him to continue to grow, to, to well up to eternal life, to gush out like we talked about a moment ago. He wants it to be a, a growing relationship in our lives that spills over. The Apostle Paul even prayed that, I think, over believers. He was writing to the church at Ephesus and he said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, and I, now kindly pay attention to some of these things I've, I've emboldened and underlined for you, because you see, it's not based upon who we are and our ability for us to get filled up and overflow. It's according to His riches. It's according to who He is. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's what He's wanting to do. He's wanting to fill us up. And infuse himself into us to the degree that we are that we're strengthened spiritually. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled. You see the, the idea that he's praying over us? That we might be, be filled with all the fullness of God. Not so we can keep it in, because Jesus said he, he wants it to flow out of our lives. And then he kind of ends with a note of praise in this prayer. He says, now to him 
who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul is just reminding us the ability for you to bless someone else, the ability for you to outflow, the ability for you to overflow into somebody else's life is not based upon who you are. It's based upon who he is and what he can do and he can do more than we can even imagine. He can do far more than we can even ask. So that's why we, we need to be willing to outflow. We need to have this image of our lives being like a fountain because that's God's will for, for our lives. What is in us, another implication from the words of Jesus there in John 4, what is, what is in us as Christians should flow out of us. Well, once again, he used that image of if we would take a drink of him, he would give an artisan spring within us. It's going to gush forth like fountains of endless water. You see, if, if our identity is going to be a fountain, that means we need to function like a fountain. We need to act like a fountain. If that's how we are going to learn to identify ourselves, to view ourselves. I think there are a lot of deep reasons that Jesus use the analogy of water or rivers or fountains in, in the Bible. There's something almost magical about water. I don't know, it is for me. You know, I, I, I'd rather be near a stream or whatever than, than on a lake. I enjoy being near a lake. But I, years ago, when I used to have a little more time, I'd trout fish a lot. And, you know, people asked me, well, why don't you get a boat and go fish? And I thought, I'd, I'd rather be out in the in the mountain and, you know, the water rushing by and hearing it and, you know, being out there, all the rocks and everything like that. There's just something kind of magical about it. There's even something magical about a fountain because if you happen to be going through a city and you see there's this large fountain outside, for, for some reason we're drawn to go over and take a look, aren't we? And people will go to the fountain, they'll either go over and throw in coins like they're, you know, making an awishing fountain. Sometimes they'll get crazy and jump in the fountain. They'll make pictures in front of the fountain. Couples will sit there and hold hands in front of the fountain, have marriages and things like that at the fountain, and that is a backdrop as they make the pictures. Some people of the more devious type will even go to a fountain and put suds in it or something like that, soap in it. But it's just something kind of magical about a fountain where you're drawn to it. We were in, in a coastal city years ago, and uh, I think maybe it might have been Charleston, I'm not sure, but uh, anyway, we uh, were there on a mission trip and went down to the town one day, and out near the edge of the town, over near the water, there's this fountain, not like the one we have displayed here, but one that was just shooting streams of water all over the place. And man, kids and people from all over had congregated around that fountain, just running through the water. In the time of Jesus, fountains were really important. Wells were really important because they would try and build their cities or their villages somewhere close to water. We, we have port cities and things like that because of commerce and, and transportation, water being used for transportation, rivers and things like that. There's just a, a lot of things that water does. Like I said, it's almost mystical, it's almost magical. And I think maybe that's why Jesus used that. So what I'm asking you to do then is to view your life as something that would draw people magically. Almost like a water fountain draws people. To view your life as something that someone wants to come over to, and maybe you give them a little bit of hope. They'll go to fountains and they'll make wishes and toss coins in. To view your life with Christ inside of you, being lived in such a way that it attracts people and maybe gives people hope. And maybe to ask yourself this also, is, is that what your life is doing now? Does that describe your life? Is your life flowing rivers that comes out from you to bless and, and, and touch the lives of other people? Or maybe your life as a Christian is a misleading promise. Maybe you kind of look like a fountain, but people come over and they can't find water to drink. Maybe you appear to be a fountain, but when people draw near, 
it's clogged up or barely trickling or maybe even dried up. A fountain that's flowing with water. Like I said, it's kind of a hopeful type place, a magical type place. But if you come over to a fountain that's supposed to serve the purpose of flowing with water and it's all dried up, that kind of confuses you, doesn't it? It frustrates you a little bit. Well, I saw that in the distance. It's supposed to be a fountain, but I come over here and there's no water. And regrettably, I think sometimes our lives, when we're supposed to be fountains that bless others and people know that we claim to be Christians and they draw near to us, if they can't find spiritual water to drink, then maybe we're frustrating them. Instead of blessing them, we're just providing frustration in their lives. Our lives need to provide such hope and such blessing to others that we can be like the woman at the well. To where after a certain point, I'm sure she was a little bit skeptical to begin with, but after a certain point, this woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. To begin with, she might have been really skeptical when when Jesus first started coming up. I mean, put yourself in that situation for a minute. You're in a desert place. This guy walks up that you've never seen before talking to you, which in that day was kind of a no-no, especially when you find out he's a Jew and you're a Samaritan and he's talking to you. And the whole cultural thing is Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And all of a sudden he comes up and he's talking to you. And then this guy starts talking about this water over here. You drink it and you're going to be thirsty again. But I can give you some water. If you drink it, you won't ever be thirsty. Now, honestly, if you were there in that situation, wouldn't you maybe think, this guy's crazy. I don't know if any of y'all, I'm not trying to be uncouth today, but I, I, I seem to attract crazy sometimes. I don't know why. I went through a spell a while back, and I, man, I couldn't, I, I couldn't go to, to Walmart. I, I, I don't think this is a reflection of Walmart necessarily, but I can't go to Walmart without attracting some crazy. I was there, I went to buy a, a new dog collar, and I'm there looking at the dog collars, and this is one of the guys you hear coming before he ever gets there, because he's, he's, he's walking around like this, just dragging his feet and stomping his feet like that, and he comes up, and he puts his feet down, and he looks over at me. And then he starts asking me everything about collars like I'm the, you know, encyclopedia of dog collars or something. You know, and then the conversation even got weirder, you know, while, while we were there. And I'm, you know, just trying to kind of suffice through it. Well, a few, couple of weeks after that, I'm on the candy aisle. And I went over there looking for some uh, dark sugar-free chocolate because that's the kind that I can kind of eat since I have some uh, diabetes issues from time to time. I'm over there looking at that, and this other guy comes up. Not the same one, the other guy comes up, and he's talking to me, and he, he starts you know talking about candy and wanting to show me this, that, this, that, and everything else. And, and then he kind of realized what I'm looking for, and he said, hey, do you, do you, have you ever tried this kind of candy? Something I've never heard of before. And then he says, well, it, it's a Japanese type of candy that they make. And then... I'm, I'm thinking, okay. And then he said, well, and he kept looking around. They said, you know what? They probably don't carry it here because the price fluctuates a lot and they'd have to be changing their price signs too much. And from there, the conversation even got weirder and weirder, things like that, to where I, I you know, I thought, I, some of you may not know, I'm ex-law enforcement. I've, I've got a concealed carry permit. And I almost thought one time, I need to brush my coat back for a second. Maybe, maybe it'll go on, you know. The conversation kind of got weird, you know. Like, I, you know, is this guy trying to pick me up or something? <laughs> so, this Samaritan woman might have thought, well, you know, this, what is he talking about? But then, evidently, in that conversation, there came a point to where. There's just something different about Jesus, his sincerity, his eyes, whatever it might have been. And she started thinking to herself, you know what? That sounds pretty good. It sounds really good that, that I might not have to walk across the desert here in the, in, the, in the heat and things like that. That sounds really good. That maybe I would never have to do that again. And then Jesus moves on from there and he tells her everything about her life. And then she's convinced he's who he says that he is. And she believes in him. You know what the first thing she does? 
The first thing she does is outflow. She runs into the city and says, I need to, you need to come with me. I, I need to show you the one that told me everything that I've ever done. First thing she did was outflow. We, we need to get that image in our, our minds. We need to see ourselves as a fountain that's flowing out with everlasting rivers of life for other people. Second step that will help us outflow in our own lives is this. Not just to adopt this picture of a fountain as the identity that we need to have as believers. But secondly, we need to adapt this pattern as our activity in our life. We need to adapt the pattern of filling up and overflowing. That's what a fountain does. We need to adapt a pattern of allowing God, allowing His Holy Spirit to fill us and fill us and fill us to the point that we're overflowing. Come back to the four-tiered fountain that we're talking about. If, if we're going to adopt the identity of a fountain, that means that we need to act like a fountain. We need to be filling up, and when we get full, we need to be overflowing and overflowing in the lives of other people. The four tiers in this fountain represent your life relationally in different areas. And that spout at the top, as I told you last week, that the water comes out of, that's an image or a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus told the disciples to go and wait for the Spirit to come. And then when the Spirit came, He sent them out. So what needs to happen in our lives? We need to be allowing God's Spirit to fill us. And, and I'm going to tell you, that's not just going to happen by you just kind of laying back and saying, Oh God, fill me. That means systematically you need to be doing things like reading your Bible and praying day in and day out, carrying on a relationship with God to where God is filling you, to where you're drinking from Him, and He is filling you to the point that you're going to overflow into somebody else's life. These four basins represent different things that Jesus said in Acts 1-2. So let me, I know we talked about the basins a little bit last week, but I want to break them down a little bit more in detail. And then in a few weeks, we're going to spend a Sunday talking about each, each basin. Here's what the first basin, the top basin represents. It represents your personal relationship with God. Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's their home. And Jesus is talking to disciples who had been taught all their lives. The Jews had been taught all their lives. If you want to connect with God, you have to go to Jerusalem. If you want to experience God, you have to go to the temple. But God wants us, our lives, to fill up to the point that we overflow. What happens at your house if a water main breaks? You ever had that happen? Now, my house, because we're on uh, city water uh, in, the, in the town of Sawmills, the huge town of Sawmills, uh, I'm kind of on the end of the line. So there might be a little bit left in the pipes after a water main breaks. Scott and Alicia will run out before I run out. And... Uh, as you come as, as you come on down, Chris or Marquita will run out probably right before I'd run out because they're right beside of me. And when you turn it on, it'll start flowing with some water, but then you'll you know kind of hear the the air vacuum hit, and then all of a sudden it goes to a trickle, and there's nothing. See, that's what happens in our lives spiritually when we allow our connection with God to be interrupted. When we are not maintaining our fellowship with God, when we're failing to pray and read our Bible and let Him fill us, if we have an interrupted connection in our life with God, we're not going to fill up to the point that we're overflowing to others because we're not getting all that we need ourselves. That, that's why the first step in this thing of outflowing that we're talking about involves us allowing God to fill us up. And we don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. And we don't have to go to the temple anymore because Jesus, when He was on the cross, changed all that. 
That veil was torn from the top to the bottom. We don't have to have a human priest anymore to get us in access with God the Father. You and I as Christians, whoever we are, wherever we are, we can connect with God. And Jesus paid a great price in order for that to happen. Amen. Dying on the cross for us. So how dare us take it for granted? How dare us not read our Bibles? How dare us not spend time allowing Him to speak to us? How dare us not spend time in prayer talking to Him? How dare us not be going through the process of asking Him, allowing Him to fill our lives up because He suffered and died so it could happen. Whoever you are and wherever you are, He wants to fill your life up. That's the first step. Second step, the second basin represents your relationship with family and friends. Your life relationally. When Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, kind of like your home base in Judea, that's kind of spreading out a, a, you know, a little bit more. In Judea was where the, their family and their friends and everything would have lived for the most part. And once we have a relationship with God ourselves, the most natural place for us to start, it might be the most challenging place for some of you to ever get over the threshold, but the most natural place for you to start trying to outflow is to outflow in the lives of your family and your friends. You see, you already know them. The, the disciples would have known the people, their, uh, their customs and everything like that right in Judea because that's where they lived in that region. And the same thing is true in, in your home. You see, you, you know your family members, and the flip side of it is they know you too, you know? You know their habits, you know their hobbies, you know their little idiosyncrasies that they might have. You, 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 you know maybe inside jokes within the family. In my family, for some reason, I wound up being the inside joke always. I don't know why. Two or three years ago, it might have been longer than that, but it still comes up all the time. We were having a meal together with a family, and we had a cantaloupe that I just thought was a really, really good cantaloupe. They're talking about something else, and I just interjected in the middle of the conversation, this is one of the best cantaloupes I've ever had to eat. And they turn and look at each other, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? And ever since that day, every time I make a random statement, they look at each other and they say, that's the best cantaloupe I've ever had to eat. I don't know when I'll live that one down. So there's inside judgment. The point I'm trying to make is you know your family. And your family knows you. So that might make it a little bit difficult sometimes for you to step over the threshold of trying to outflow into their lives and reach them if they're not a Christian, especially because you have convinced yourself maybe somebody else can do it better. Or reaching over into the life of a friend because you're afraid if you reach into the life of a friend and you start to push it a little bit in the area of Christianity, you're afraid that maybe they'll get offended or maybe they'll withdraw and they won't be your friend anymore. What about in eternity if your family member or your friend doesn't make it to heaven? See, we actually have some scripture to give us a basis for why we ought to reach our family and friends. In John chapter 1, verse 43, 42, John the Baptist was there and a couple of his disciples are there and here comes Jesus walking by and he says, there he is, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. And one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Notice what he does. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And notice what he did. He brought him to Jesus. You see the pattern that we have? If you know Christ is your Savior, your first place to outflow is to your own family. And also to your friends. Because we're told in that same chapter, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and, P Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael, being really skeptical, said this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's a cultural reason he said that. But notice what Philip said. Philip said to him, come and 
see. And he did. He got up and he went to see. And Jesus said, by the way, I saw you and you were sitting over there on the fig tree. And he believed. We, we make it too complicated a lot of times. If you've got friends that don't know Christ, you need to be outflowing into their lives and saying, at least come and see. Give it a chance. Take a taste and see if it's not good. The next basin down. Third basin represents your relationship with your community. Your life locally. Samaria was outside their normal boundaries. And when I'm talking about community here, what I want you to get in mind is that you and I as Christians, we've got an obligation upon our lives to outflow into the lives of other people who are not necessarily like us. See, in that day and time, when, when Jesus told his disciples, look, I, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, they thought, fine, you know, good. In Judea, sure. In Samaria, ah. Uh, we don't like the Samaritans, Jesus. Don't you remember that? See, they had been taught culturally all their lives. You don't go to Samaria. You don't hang out with Samaritans. After all, they're not our kind of people. And Jesus completely blows that mentality out of the water because he tells his disciples, I need to go to Samaria. And he went to that Samaritan woman and he led her to faith. And later on, Jesus told a parable about the good Samaritan to where the religious people that they walk by and don't do what they should have done, they fail to outflow. But there's this good Samaritan that does outflow into somebody's life and touches their life and ministers to them. The application that we need to make from that is this. We as Christians have an obligation before God to outflow, to, to overflow, to let God use our lives to bless and touch lives of people who are not like us. That Samaritan woman might have thought when Jesus came up talking to her and everything, and she found out he was a Jew, as I said a moment ago, she's probably thinking... What are you doing talking to me? After all, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And regrettably, in our day and time, there are probably plenty of people out in our society, out in our culture, who think to themselves, Christians don't talk to people like me. Christians don't want to have anything to do with people like me. Because we have stood away from them because they're not our type of people. When God calls us to outflow into the lives of the world around us. The last basin, the lower basin there would have even pushed them more out of their, out of their comfort zone. Like I said, Jerusalem, sure, we'll go do that. Judea, yeah, that's still our people. Samaria, I don't know too much about that. That's out of my comfort zone a little bit. And then Jesus tells them this, I want you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the world. And that pictures your life globally. You have a, not just a local impact in your family or your community or maybe even people not like you, but a, a global impact. The disciples would have been a little bit reluctant, as I said a moment ago, with Samaria. But when Jesus said to the ends of the earth, what they might have thought about would have been some of the rumors that they heard in Jerusalem and in Judea about some of these fierce people that lived out in the Roman Empire, around the edges of the Roman Empire. Maybe in Britain and things like that. Man, there's people out there that are just barbarians and they're, and they're fierce. They'll cut your head off in a moment's notice for no reason. Jesus, you're telling me you want me to go to them? I don't know about that. I might cut my head off. <laughs> I've heard they're pretty fierce. And 
in their places and people out in the world today who cut your head off just for being a Christian. But that doesn't mean that that gives us a reason to fail to reach them with the gospel and fail to outflow into their lives. You may not be called to go, you might just be called to give and to pray and help support people who go. But He may call you to go. And all of us literally have a call to go and outflow and make a difference in the world because Jesus, before He left and ascended from this world, said this in what we call the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We've been told to do it. Our lives can outflow. How can our lives better outflow? First of all, we need to adopt the mental image in our mind and in our heart that we're supposed to be a fountain, that we're supposed to overflow. And we need to adapt the practice of doing so. We need to adapt the practice in our lives of doing that, of actually allowing God to fill us up so we can overflow into the lives of others. Thirdly and lastly... You need to also do this. You need to accept the possibility. You need to accept this possibility, the possibility that God wants you to overflow, the possibility that God wants you to be involved in ministry. You need to accept this possibility as your ministry, whoever you are. Did you get that last phrase? Whoever you are. Because we're really good at coming up with excuses. Well, God, other people can outflow, but not me. God, they've been trained to outflow. God, they've, they've got a thud degree. That's a theological degree. That's what we call them uh, sometimes. They're thuds. They've got this doctor theological degree. God, they, they, they can do it because they've been doing it for so long. Some of you may be thinking this. You may be thinking, how in the world can I outflow to somebody else? I'm having a hard enough time just kind of keeping my own life spiritually where it ought to be. I mean, I understand that. Amen? That's easy for us to, to fall in that mold and think, God, how in the world can I outflow to somebody else? I'm having a hard enough time with me. Well, you see, that's why I'm saying you have to accept as a possibility that God wants to use you no matter who you are because you need to get beyond worrying about me and what me can do and move on to doing what God wants you to do. You need to quit making excuses and let God totally transform your life to where you're outward focused instead of inward focused. What you may have to do is let God totally reprogram your mind and your heart. You want to know why? Because the media, the TV, the magazines, the movies, the internet, da-da-da-da-da-da, have been working 24-7 for years and years and years to get us to buy into the way to be happy is to own more stuff. The way to be happy is to climb the ladder of success. The way to be happy is to step over people on your way up the ladder instead of taking time to help them and reach down to where they're hurting. That's kind of what our culture sold us. Look out for number one. We can almost make that sound spiritual. We, we've almost so much bought into that mentality in the culture in which we live that even in the church, we've let a kind of a hierarchy develop to where we think, well, it's just a pastor or it's just the staff or it's just the deacons that are really supposed to do ministry when the truth of the matter is God wants every believer to be a vital, functioning part of the body of Christ and be involved in outflowing into the life of others and ministering to other people. Before your life can ever outflow, I'm simply trying to make this point to you, before your life can ever outflow, you'll have to accept the possibility that you can do ministry yourself, that you can, in fact, outflow no matter who you are. See, our problem is we've been drinking at the wrong fountain, so we're still thirsty. Our problem is we've allowed our fountain to be clogged or trickling, or even dried up. And that's why we think we can't bless others. And what God wants you to understand is this. You can be a fountain, and you can overflow. We looked at these verses last week, but I want to look at them in, a, in kind of a different light today. John chapter 7, on that 
big feast day I talked about last week. On that last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In the Amplified Bible, it says this. On that last day of the feast, that important day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out in a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in and relies on me, as the Scripture said, from his inmost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. Then the message puts it like this. On that last final climactic day of the feast, Jesus took his stand. He cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me in this way, just as the Scripture says. Now, I emphasized in putting bold print and underlined some words there for a reason. I want you to notice some words Jesus did not use. Jesus did not use words like only some people or specially gifted people or theologically trained people. Did you notice that Jesus didn't use that language, those words? Instead, Jesus used words like this, whoever believes. So that means if you're a Christian, that's all of us. Amen? He used words like anyone. He said, he who believes. Jesus did not use words like maybe in those verses. Like just maybe you might outflow. Instead, Jesus used these words. You will flow. You shall flow continuously. You will brim and spill out. He's saying it will happen. If we're having the faith in Him that we should, allowing Him to fill us up. You don't have to be a special type of person. You don't have to be specially trained. You don't have to be rich or good looking. The only thing you have to do is let Him fill you up so you can overflow. And every one of you can do it if you know Christ as your Savior. Some people are saying, well, I've tried to overflow into somebody else's life and they didn't appreciate it, they didn't accept it, they got mad at me. I tried to overflow. And you're using that as an excuse not to do it. I want you to listen to a part of a poem by Henry Longfellow. Not a theologian, but just a poem. And he said this, Talk not of wasted affection. Affection never was wasted. If it enriched not the heart of another, it waters, its, its waters returning back to their springs like rain shall fill them full of refreshment. That which the fountain sends forth returns again to the fountain. Do you understand what he's saying? Don't say it was a wasted effort. Don't say you wasted your affection. He said that never happens. Even if they don't receive it, guess what? You get blessed because you did it. St. Augustine said this, God is more anxious to bestow His blessings on us than we are to receive them. He wants to bless you. He wants to use your life. And I understand I'm talking about others, 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 others. And some of you might be thinking, well, what about me? Here's what about you and me. Because the Bible says, delight yourselves in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Do you see the order of that? Do you see the order of it? Put God first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What we need to do is delight ourselves in the Lord and He will give us the desires of our heart. Put God first. The message puts it like this, keep company with God and get in on the best. I love that. Don't you, the way it's phrased? God wants us to be like a fountain. He wants to fill us to overflowing, but we need to keep company with Him and allow Him to fill our lives to the point of overflowing. Your life can overflow, but is it overflowing? Is your life overflowing? Is your life like a fountain Make it more personal. I want you to ask yourself these questions and then we'll close in just a second. Are you an outflowing fountain or are you a clogged up fountain, a barely trickling fountain, or maybe even a dried up fountain? 
Describe that in the context of blessing others, of outflowing into the lives of others. Where do you fit in that? And the second question I want you to ask yourself is this. What circumstances, emotions, actions, or attitudes led to the current condition of your fountain life? What made you be like you are right now? If you're not overflowing, why not? And the third one is, do you believe that God can make your life and relationship like an overflowing fountain? Why or why not? If not, if you don't think God can do that in your life, what would it take to make you believe that God can make your life like an everlasting fountain? See, the reason I ask that question is, is here's my argument. In order for you to believe that it can happen, you have to give it a try and do it. Because you don't know to give it a try. And once you give it a try and God uses your life to bless someone else and you experience that, you have all the validation, all the evidence, and all the proof you need that God can use your life like a fountain. I read a story this week about a guy by the name of Al. Al was waiting in a long line to go into a very popular movie a few years ago. It had been advertised a lot. Crowds were there. It was wintertime. It was really, really cold. And they were having to stand in this long line, wrapping around the block outside, waiting to buy a ticket to go into the movie. This local church realized that was going to happen because it was wintertime, really, really promoted the movie the people had on, on TV and everything. So they thought, there's probably going to be a big crowd there, and it's really cold. Why don't we do this? Let's go and stand outside the movie theater, and let's give hot chocolate and coffee away to people as they wait in line. So that's what they went to do. And they were going through the line handing out the hot chocolate and the coffee, and people were being surprised, you know, by anyone doing that. And they were given a little slip of paper. And they come to Al, and Al said, well, no, I don't really want your, your coffee. I'm fine, but I do want to know why you're doing this. And they gave him the piece of paper. We hope this little act of kindness is a little token of God's love for you. And on the back side, it, it had an address and information, a little bit of information about the church. So Al turns it over, he reads it, and he says, I, I know now why you're doing this. You're trying to trick me to get me to come to your church. And they said, well, we'd love for you to come to our church if you decide to come. But they said, that's not why we're doing it. The reason we're doing it is because people are out here, they're cold, and we're just trying to make them warm. And Al didn't know how to respond to that. See, it wasn't really about getting them to the church. And had they said, yeah, that's why we're doing it, he could have had all kinds of excuses. And they said, no, we're just doing it because people are here and they're cold. Al thought about that, and a couple of weeks later, he went to that church. And a couple of weeks after that, he trusted Christ as his Savior. You want to know what Al does now? He travels across the country to churches teaching them how to do servant evangelism to where other people will be reached like he was reached. So, the person in line giving out the coffee and the drinks and handing the slips of paper out there to try and bless those people, trying to outflow to them, do you think they've got a little bit of validation now that what they were doing was a good thing? Because now there's this guy that they met in line in a movie theater that's going across the country telling other churches how to do servanthood evangelism. All I'm trying to make the point of is this. Your life needs to be like a fountain. That's the way you're to view your life. You need to make it a practice in your life of letting God fill you so you can overflow into all the other relationships that you have in your life. And you need to accept the fact that you can do it. No matter who you are. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for loving us with such an amazing love that You sent Your Son into this world. You invaded this world in order to invade our hearts. Through faith in Him, we can have everlasting life. Through faith in Him, You and our hearts, we can have a growing relationship with You. 
Lord, you remove the veil. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to have a priest. We can have access, direct access to your throne as believers. God, forgive us when we forsake that. Forgive us when we allow our spiritual water main to be broken and our lives are dry or just barely dripping. When you and our lives to be like a, a flowing river, blessing and impacting the lives of others. Father, forgive us that we've been substandard, that we've been less than what you want us to be. Forgive us for thinking that we can't do it. Although that's true, we can. It's you that, that does it through us. But Father, forgive us for acting like we, that we're powerless, that we don't have you to help us. Forgive us of not overflowing to our family and friends, to people who are not like us, to the ends of the earth. God, help us right now in the quietness of this moment to evaluate our lives, the kind of fountain that we are. And God, help us right now to make commitments to you that we will spend time with you and allow you to fill us allow you to bless our lives to the point that we overflow into the lives of others Father if there's someone here today that doesn't know you they've never ever trusted you as Savior Father right now I pray that you speak to their heart Help them to see you love them supremely enough to see your Son. Give them the faith they need to say yes. And then, Father, send them out like a woman at the well to outflow and to bless others. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.